0: And Jill, thank you for that reminder. Um, before we get into the message, let me just make a couple quick announcements. Um, I don't, did he, did Nathan? Okay. We have a new, a new young man here at our church named Nathan Franks He's going to be working with our teenagers. I was hoping he was going to be able to stick around long enough in here. He's probably down in the gym setting up for us. But if you happen to see a, a young guy walking around with me who's about a little taller than me, uh, his name is Nathan. He's our new youth intern. And I'm hoping that next week maybe he can stick around a little bit and get to know some people down here um, in this service. But um, also, I wanted to make this announcement real quick. Some of you have heard us mention this, this program we're doing called A Rise to Read. Uh, one of my new responsibilities here at the church is to organize and help us to spearhead new ministry mission opportunities. Um, and one of these things that we're doing is this A Rise to Read program. We are partnering with Macon Hall Elementary School, who we learned the other day is the largest elementary school in all of Shelby County. 1,200 kids in their school. And so we are, we are coming in with this, this coaching program where we will be helping second-grade students learn to read, helping them make sure they're on track for third grade. And we're doing this as a hope that we can get ourselves in the door so that we can begin to do more and more ministry in this school and begin to impact that faculty and impact that student body. Because in 1,200 students, there are hundreds and hundreds who need Jesus Christ, without a doubt. And so if you have been interested in in volunteering with that, if you saw the announcement and you say, hey, I want to do this, we have a training meeting this Wednesday night that we're going to at Faith Baptist. I'm going to be driving the bus. We're going to be leaving here at 6. But if you want to do that, if you want to go with us and help out with this, be sure to see me after service today. I need to send you a link so you can get registered for that. It's going to be a great opportunity. Like I said, you'll be volunteering one hour a week during the school day and basically going in. And sitting with a student and working through some games and some activities to help them to learn to read. It's a tremendous program and we could really use your help in that. If you have a Bible, if you would, open it up to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to start there this morning. And then we're going to move to several other places today. While you're turning there, let me ask you this. Let's imagine that you... um, Let's imagine that you had some particular thing that you did. Maybe you're an athlete. Maybe you're a musician. Maybe uh, you're a mechanic. Whatever it is. Let's imagine that you had that thing that you do and you wanted to learn how to get better at that. How would you do that? How would you grow in what you're doing? I mean, let's take, for instance, let's imagine that we were all um, that, that you knew someone that wanted to be an athlete. They wanted to go pro and hopefully make it to the Super Bowl one day. And they really had talent and they had ability and you thought, man, maybe they could do it. You know, they, they probably, in order to grow, they probably would have to do several different things, right? They'd need experience. They'd need a practice. they need good coaches. They'd need to learn the rules of the game, right? They would need to learn to watch film and to study the game. They would have to learn to take care of themselves, to eat right, to exercise. Or let's imagine that uh, that you picked up an instrument and you decided you wanted to learn to play an instrument. Like, for instance, when I was in college, I I was a music major. I studied trumpet. I played trumpet. In order to get better at what I did, I had to do a lot of different things. I had to make sure I had the right equipment. I had to make sure I took care of that equipment. I had to get the right technique books, and I had to sit in a little practice room at 6-something in the morning every single day at the University of Memphis and practice, 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 practice. I had to play in multiple groups. I had to take lessons. I had to have people coach me. I had to listen to people who were better than me play so I could think, that's how I need to play. And so on and so forth, we could go. If I wanted to grow, it didn't just magically happen because I woke up one day and found a trumpet in my lap. I had to do things to encourage that growth. This past year, I've been finishing up my doctorate, and this whole year, since January of 2016 until now, and still going on, I've been working on one thing, and that is putting together a new family discipleship strategy for us here at Fisherville. And I've been studying, I've been reading, I've been going through Scripture, looking at how do we as a church encourage families to raise up the next generation of Christ followers? How do we each encourage our families to grow stronger in the Lord each and every single day? And you know what I found? One of the first realities that I came face-to-face with was this. If we want to grow spiritually... It's helpful if we know how to grow spiritually. In other words, how do we grow? Because you see, spiritual growth doesn't just happen by accident. It doesn't just happen because we happen to show up at church on a Sunday morning on a regular basis with a Bible in our lap. We don't just magically become mature believers in Christ. We have to know what to do and following our Lord. It's just like this. Imagine if, if, if you decided, hey, I want to get in shape. Let's say that you wanted to, uh, that you said, hey, I'm going to go exercise. I'm going to go join a gym. You hear people say all the time, well, I went to the gym today. Well, let's imagine that I went and joined that gym. And let's imagine that I walked in. I have my little key fob to get myself into my 24 hour gym. I walked in the door and I said, well, I've gone to the gym. I looked around. I never once got on any equipment never once picked up a weight, never once hopped on a treadmill. I walked in, got a drink out of the water fountain, went and got back in my car, and I said, I went to the gym day one. And let's imagine that I went back and I drove back again. I pulled in. I bloop, bloop, beat myself in the door. I walk in. I look around. I went to the gym day two. Now, Now, there wouldn't be much that would take place in my life, right? Except for I'd be paying a bill that would be a waste of money. No, I would have to know to go in the place. I wouldn't have to know how to use the equipment. I would have to actually get on it. And it would actually help, too, if I had a plan for what I was doing. And so when we know the how of spiritual growth, when we know how we grow, I believe it will help us to, en- to encourage growth to happen. And I believe for us as families, it will help us as parents and as grandparents to create an environment in our homes where growth can happen. Just like a farmer is going to go out and prepare the field. He's going to prepare that soil so that growth can happen when he plants that crop. That you as a parent, you as a grandparent, can do things to prepare the soil so that your children and your grandchildren can become strong in their faith. Because at the end of the day, the spiritual growth of your family is the responsibility of you, mom and dad. That's what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 through 9. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you shall be on your hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and that shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. We cannot expect our families to grow in their faith if all we do is feed them a diet of one to two hours of church a week, and that's it. Just like you could not survive on a diet of one to two meals per week, our faith cannot survive if that's all we're getting. Growth and maturity takes a daily investment takes a plan. Back in the fall, I did some research through our church, and I asked a bunch of questions. I did this survey that we we did with all our young families, and I asked several questions, and one specifically was this. I said, do you have a plan to help lead your kids to spiritual maturity? And out of all the people that answered that question, half said yes, half said no. The next question I said, okay, hey, describe your plan. Now, the way people describe their plans were all over the place did this, did that, whatever, but at least they had a plan. But this is what I noticed. As I went through the rest of that survey, those who said they had a plan were much more likely to read the Word of God on a daily basis as a family, much more likely to pray together as a family, much more likely to serve together as a family, much more likely to to attend worship together and to talk about what was talked about in the service on a regular basis with their family. In other words, those who have thought through it and figured out this is what I'm going to do to grow in my faith and to lead my kids to grow, are more likely to actually do it. I want it to be said of my kids, what is said of Jesus in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, when it said that he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And I really do believe that we would all say that. I don't think there's a single person in this room who comes in here on a regular basis and says, I don't want to grow. No, we want to grow. So how do we do it? Several weeks ago I mentioned this, or I guess it was a few times ago when I preached. um, Something that I came across when I was studying that I really feel like is it. I feel like this helped me to understand this. Um, It was something that I read in a book by Andrew Davis, and it was a book called Infinite Journey. As he studied scripture, he found, he believed that, that spiritual growth happens through a cycle. That there are steps that we go through. And this is what he said. He said, sanctification occurs. Sanctification being the process of growing in our faith. It occurs in a cycle that follows this order. Growing knowledge increases faith. Increasing faith transforms character. Transformed character produces action, and action feeds knowledge. This morning, I want to talk about how this works. And then over the next couple of weeks, we're going to unpack each of these steps and find out how can we encourage growth in every single area. As a family, Because to grow in our faith takes more than just one thing. It's a process. So the first thing, knowledge increases faith. Turn to Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Now when I talk about knowledge here, I'm talking about two different types of knowledge. I'm talking about, first of all, simple biblical knowledge. You read the Bible and you come to know the Bible. In other words, the things that you get through your quiet time as you read and you pray through Scripture. The things that you learn as you study the Bible, whether that be in a Sunday school class or through a sermon. The, 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 the Scripture that comes into your mind because you've memorized it. So there's that knowledge, the factual knowledge of God's Word. And then there's secondly the experiential knowledge which is what comes whenever you read the Word, you learn the Word, and then you see the Word in action in the world around you. You see prayers answered. You see God's Word confirmed in the ways of the world. And so that kind of knowledge increases faith. Now, what is faith? It's an assurance, a conviction of spiritual truth, like it says in Hebrews 11.1, when it says that faith is an assurance of things hoped for, a conviction of things not seen. And so believing the word of God is faith. To trust in it. To place your whole self on it. Thinking this is the only way that I can live. Which begins with us trusting in Christ for salvation. And so how does knowledge produce faith? Romans ten seventeen says it like this. That faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. And so as we take the Bible in, whether that be, or not whether, but both through reading the Bible and through experiencing the Word of God, guess what happens? Our faith begins to grow. In fact, our faith can grow no other way. This is the way we grow in our faith, is by taking the Word in. Because we cannot believe what we do not know. We cannot say, I believe and trust the Bible if we never read the Bible. If I don't know the words of what the Bible says, I cannot say, I truly am placing my faith on it. But when we do read it, when we do take it in, it is like an investment that returns a dividend. We could think of it like a bank. Now, I know that today savings interest rates are almost nothing. You put your money in the bank and it comes back out about the same It's kind of depressing. I remember when I was a kid, you could actually invest money in like money market accounts and you would make a good return on that money. My dad taught me well the the importance of compound interest. And I remember putting my money in there and then watching it grow and watching it grow and watching it grow. Well, imagine that reading the Bible is the same. That as we invest it into our hearts, what comes forth is more than what we put in. Because in Isaiah chapter fifty-five, eleven, it tells us that God's word never returns void. That it will always have an interest. That never can a moment ever be wasted, spent studying God's word. But remember what I said, our faith grows not just as we read the word, but as we experience the word. And here's what that looks like in real life. So we're reading it, we're, we're taking it in. And then as we see the world around us, we begin to see God at work. We see miracles happen. We see prayers answered. And we even see the other side, and we see the consequence of sin happen. And as that happens, our faith becomes stronger because we realize what God wrote is true. And it is real. You can talk to any Christian who is older than you in the faith, And you will hear of a faith that was strengthened by the life they lived. That as they watched God work in their lives over generations, they realized, my God is faithful. That my God is true. So it's a faith that is informed by fact. The fact of what God does. And so our faith grows as we both plant the Word into our hearts and as we see the Word at work around us. But the cycle of growth doesn't end there. Secondly, we learn this, that faith, that faith that we're growing in, transforms our character. Now, what is character? Character can be kind of hard to define at times, but we can really just define it here as as meaning this, that it is who you are on the inside. It's the culmination, it's the summation of your internal nature. It's your will, it's your emotions, it's your thoughts, it's your desires, it's your motives. It's what drives you to make the decisions that you do. It can be defined by the presence of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. The love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And as our faith becomes stronger... Our character is then transformed. Look in First John, Chapter Three. And this is, we're going to read verses one through three. First John, Three. Verses 1 through 3, it says this. It says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it does not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. Now check out verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in Him, sounds like faith to me, doesn't it? To put our hope in Him, purifies Himself as He is pure. And so our faith, our hope, begins to purify us. The word purify there is pointing to moral purity. That our faith begins to transform us from the inside. We can see the same thing from the negative perspective in Romans chapter 1, verse 32. Let me just read this verse to you. In Romans 1, Paul is speaking of the evil. He's speaking of the corrupt, the wicked in this world. And he says that though they, the wicked, know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things, the such things there are talking about evil, sinful actions. You could go back a couple of verses and read those that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And so the wicked not only live in wickedness, but they also, in their hearts, agree with those who do. And they begin to change the name and say that what is evil is now good. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? I think we see that all the time. And why is that so? Because their character is corrupt. But for the ones who believe in Christ, as their hearts begin to to fully trust in Jesus, there's a transformation that's taking place. And as Paul puts it in Philippians 2, 5, we begin to have the mind of Christ. That we begin to see the world as God sees it. To have the love of Jesus. To want the things that Jesus wants. But understand this as well, that the Bible does not just assume that character change happens, but instead we are commanded to have the mind of Christ. So Paul says in Philippians 2, have the mind of Christ. And he says the same thing, or similar in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, when he says that since we have these promises, those things that we can trust in from God, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. So the outside and the inside, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Now, I think we could all agree that to believe yet not to change means that we didn't believe at all, right? I mean, let's imagine that I said, hey, I believe that you know, we should, I should eat healthy and that I should, I should exercise so that my life can be better. But let's imagine that I said I believed that But I lived on a steady diet of chicken nuggets, chicken McNuggets, and I watched uh, movies all day and all night and sat on the couch and never moved. Now, you would look at me and say, well, your belief did not lead to action. It didn't really lead to transformation, so I bet you really didn't believe that. You see, faith is more than just agreeing with facts. It's to place our trust in something to the point that we begin to live according to those facts. And a belief that doesn't produce change isn't really belief. For instance, if we say that we believe what the Bible says about humility, but keep holding on to arrogance. Or if we say that we believe what the Bible says about greed, but we we keep wanting more and more. Or we believe what the Bible says about forgiveness, yet we continue to hold a grudge against someone and refuse to forgive then I would argue that our belief hasn't really transformed us. And there's something missing. But true faith will result in a heart and a mind that is being transformed. It doesn't always happen overnight, but change will happen. And as our character conforms to Christ, what then comes next is this. That character produces action. Jesus said it best in Matthew chapter 12, verse 33... You can flip there. He really gives what is the perfect illustration of this in verses 33 through 37. When he says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you were evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So there it is. From what comes inside comes action, right? From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account to every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And so Jesus gives us the perfect illustration. From the good tree comes healthy fruit. Now, we wouldn't expect a a young little seedling to produce an abundance of fruit, would we? No, but we would expect to see signs of growth, right? We would expect to see health in the leaves of that plant. But from a diseased plant, you would see little or no fruit. And from a dead plant, you would see nothing at all. It would just be withered leaves and dead branches. And so Jesus' point was this, that as a believer, we will produce spiritual fruit if our faith is true. That what will come from from our lives will be nothing other than, we can't even help it, but produce fruit. Now, here in this passage, the fruit is specifically our words. That's what he's talking about here. But fruit is really more than just our words. It's obedience to Christ's commands. It's avoiding temptation. It's carrying out the work of Christ, like sharing the gospel, meeting the needs of others, loving others with the love of Christ. It comes in the form of words and actions and motives and attitudes. And what produces fruit in me is the Spirit of God living through me as I trust in Him and as I allow Him to transform my life. So I do not produce spiritual fruit on my own, but God produces it through me as I turn my life over to Him. Now, for many, this is where the disconnect takes place. Because for many, they say, I believe in Jesus. I believe what the Bible says, but their lives lack fruit. They refuse to obey the word because it may be uncomfortable. There's no compassion for the hurting in their life. No desire to see the lost saved. No love for their brothers and sisters in Christ. But I would say, listen to the words of Jesus in John 15, 8, when he says this: that by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. I think about the parable of the talents. You remember that parable? The story where where the the master had the three servants and he gave each servant a different amount of money and he said, look, I'm going to be gone. You do something good with this money. Invest this money and when I come back, report back to me. Do you remember what happened? There were those two servants who were faithful to the master and they went out and invested what they had and they produced fruit. And what happened to those two? Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been trusted with little. I will give you much. But then there was that one who took that treasure and he hid it. And he did nothing with it. What happened to him? What he had was taken from him. And he was cast out. What is Jesus' point, I believe? That those who believe in Christ will produce fruit. That we will not be able to help but produce fruit. God wants us to do something with our faith. Not just to sit and to soak, but to stand and to serve and to live in obedience to the word. And then finally, guess what happens? As we live our lives in faith, in action, there's a growing desire in our heart to want to know more. Because action produces knowledge. Turn finally to John chapter 14, verse 21. As we are living out the Word and carrying out the commands of Christ, we will want to know more. I could tell you story after story, after story of how I have seen this at work in the lives of people that I've ministered to over the 13, 14 years that I've been in the ministry. And I can guarantee you that Jack and Gary and Bart, as ministers for decades, could tell you the same thing. That I have watched individuals, whether they be teenagers or adults, who have done something to live in obedience to the Word of God, and I've watched God light a fire in their heart to want to know more. I've gone on mission trips with kids who showed little interest in the things of God and watched them be obedient to God by sharing their faith or by helping out someone in need. And I've watched them come back and, and say to me, Hey, how can I know more? Again, get, help me with the devotional. Help me with something so I can get more into the Word. I've seen a kid come to me after they've shared Christ with a friend at school and said, okay, Jeff, what do I do next? How do I do more? How do I know more? I've seen them as they've lived in faith, and it's struck a fire in their heart to want to know more about the Savior that they serve. Jesus said it in John fourteen twenty one. When he said, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And here it is. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. How does God manifest himself to us? Through the word. That as we live in obedience, God brings the word to life. You ever realize how some people can read the Word of God and it does nothing for them? That a lost person can open up the Bible and they can read it and they can say, okay, whatever, it's just moral teachings, whatever. But those who truly love Jesus read it and they see something more. You know why that is? Because the Holy Spirit is in them, bringing the words to life. I can say without a shadow of a doubt, that it was serving the Lord, specifically through missions for me, that God lit a fire in my soul to want to know more and more. That as I live my life in obedience to the Great Commission, to the commands of Christ, he, He made me hunger for more and more. And He ought to be making you hunger for more and more as well. Now, at the beginning of the message today, I said that spiritual growth happens in a cycle, But really, I think a better way, even to think about it, is is less like a cycle and more like a spiral. If you ever went to Egypt, you probably would want to go visit a pyramid, right? If you ever took a trip to Egypt, you you that's what I would want to do. I've seen the Bass Pro Pyramid, but I think I want to see one in Egypt one of these days. Go see the real ones, uh, you know, not the one in this Memphis, but the other Memphis. And 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 I've always wondered how in the world did they build these things. You know, here are these people that did not have cranes and all these things like we have today that would lift up these stones. And you can imagine these stones are huge. And so how did they get them up there? Well, this one architect recently proposed this theory, which he believes that they were actually built with an internal system of spiraling ramps. You can kind of see it in the picture up here. That that as the workers would bring those stones around, they would place them on the outside and they would build it from the inside out. in that that as the stone is being placed in the top, there's already a multitude of stones that are working their way up the ramp. And I think that's really how this works. That at every point in our life, we are moving through this growth spiral at multiple points. That as I'm reading the truth of God in one point today, he's working with me in faith on something I read last week. And my life is being transformed in something I read two weeks ago. And yesterday I lived in faith and obedience to something I read a month ago. And so it's not that we're just doing one step and then the next step and then the next step. But instead, that as we invest our life in knowledge and in faith and in character and action, God is continually working through us. It's like a four-stroke engine. There is always a part moving, right? There was always, as one piston is down, there's another one that's up. And they're always constantly moving. And so every part is moving. And so here's the point what does this mean for us? It means that we as Christians need to be growing in every single area because God wants to work through us at every point. It means we need to be studying the Word of God, it means we need to be learning to trust the Word of God. It means we need to be examining our character on a regular basis and asking, am I wanting the things of God? It means that every time we walk out the door, we need to ask ourselves, what is God calling me to do today in obedience to Him? And for for parents, for families here, this is what it means. It means that if you want your child to grow in their spiritual walk, it's going to take more than just reading the Bible with them at night. That's definitely part of the puzzle, but it's not the whole answer. You see, when I walked into this project that I've been working on, all I could think about in my mind was, okay, if we can just get families to have a daily quiet time together, we'll be done. We'll be good. That'll be it. But as I studied, God helped me to realize it's so much more that it's just as important that the parent is encouraging faith by talking about their own faith and how God answered the prayers in their life over their history. That it's just as important that that parents connect discipline to Scripture and help kids to see that when they offend their parents, they're really offending God and that they need to create opportunities on a regular basis so their kids can live in obedience to the commands of God. Because spiritual growth is about more than just one thing. So over the next couple weeks, I'm really excited about the fact that Brother Jack's given me the opportunity to preach three weeks in a row. I'm going to have to find three different suits to wear, um, three different ties. It's going to be hard. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I think I've got enough. <laughs> if you see this sport code again, just understand why. But seriously, over the next couple weeks, we're going to unpack this. We're going to look specifically how you... Not just... And let me make sure you understand. If you're not a parent or if you don't have kids in your home right now, don't think, okay, I don't need to hear this. Because all this is just as much true for me as an individual as it is for me as a family. That is, for me as a dad, I need to lead my kids in every one of these areas... Just like I need to lead myself in every one of these areas. This morning, as we come to a time of invitation, I want to challenge you in two ways. First of all, for the believers in this room, I want to challenge you to ask yourself how am I growing in faith? Am I really growing? Have I really thought about this? Or am I just expecting growth to happen? As we know from the Word of God, He wants us to grow. And for the parents in the room, to ask yourselves, what am I doing to push my children to be closer to Jesus tomorrow than they were today? And the next day to be stronger than they were the day before that? But secondly, I need to bring this point up. You can't grow in your faith if you don't have faith. If there is a person in this room that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, today, trust the Word and have faith in the Savior. We would love nothing more to be able to talk with you about that decision and to help you to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come to this time of invitation, God, I pray for those in this room who are the saved, the believers in this room. I know the majority of the people in here most likely are. And God, I pray for their hearts. I pray that you would give them a desire to want to be closer to Jesus. To want to read your word. To learn to trust your word to want to be transformed in their hearts and to want to live out the truth of the Word. God, I pray that You would inspire us to action. That just like an athlete or a musician who wants to grow, will pursue that wholeheartedly. That Jesus, we would pursue closeness with You with all our hearts. And Father, for those in this room who may not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that today they would walk this aisle and they would say, I want to know Jesus. I want to have this eternal life that He promises, that only He can give. It doesn't come through Islam. It doesn't come through Buddhism. It doesn't come through any other system. It comes through a man by the name of Jesus. And I pray that today would be a day of transformation. And it's in Christ's name we